This is Eitan Weinstein. And I'm Naor Menninger. And you're listening to Two Nice Jewish Boys. We're putting the band back together. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, we have uh, heard your calls. Many yes. of you, yes. many thousands, Three. thousands have written to us. Yeah, yeah. thousands, millions, millions, thousands of yeah letters. Yeah, it's like if uh, you count the spaces, the how the UN defines Palestinians. <laughs> if you wrote to us, we count not only you, but your children right, and your right, children's right. children. Yeah, no, it's like the Gaza Ministry of Health yeah. body count. <laughs> the death That's, toll. Yeah, the yeah. death toll. Yeah, so yeah, 50 million. 50 million people wrote to us <laughs> requesting that we get back to... No, we we, took, we were on a bit of a hiatus, as all of you know. Right? Mm-hmm. We had a few uh, episodes remotely at the beginning of the war, but um, it was an unusual, crazy times. Yeah, took uh, some time to absorb everything, to Yeah, but reflect. we're happy to be back. Eitan is now in peace now. Yes. He well, joined Achim Yeah, he joined. I have two of their <laughs> shirts. in arms. Yeah. I have two of their I shirts. I have to re-talk about that. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel I, like. I think we need to frame one for the new studio. <laughs> uh, anyway. anyway, it is good to be back. It is good yeah. to be back. And thank you for writing to us, those of you who wrote to us and those of you who didn't. Stop shame listening. Shame on you. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but um, it's good to be back. Yeah. Okay, so let's jump. There's so many things to talk about, man. So wow. let's start. With the recent events, the the ceasefire, the debate around it, pros cons, was it worth it? Was it not? Were you for the the deal, the arrangement, or yeah, against it? Yeah, I think we spoke about it. It's hard. It's it's a really really sensitive subject, right? And I think this is like, it's fair that for it to be a sensitive subject, we're talking about humans, our brothers and sisters. Children, uh, babies. children, babies, elderly men and women, families that are in captivity. It can be assumed that a good portion of them, we don't know, but it can be assumed that a good portion of them are alive, um, as was evident by the release of 101, I think, 13 of them so far. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are these are humans who are in captivity of the most brutal, disgusting terrorists that, that you know, seriously, some of the yeah. worst people that ever walked the earth. Tortured, treated like animals. Yeah. No food, no water. Um, and so there, there, there's obviously the heart, like, there's not even words to describe it. Um, and it's difficult to think about people in that scenario. And then when the oppor- when there is an opportunity to release some of them it's obviously like you know you you start asking yourself questions like what well, is it humane to even consider not to um but i think that uh, for me personally i think it's you know i think what led to this situation was the 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 deal that we made with uh uh, with the Hamas for the release of Gilad Shalit. You know, we released 1,027 or something terrorists for the release of Gilad Shalit. So there's obviously, you're, sending, you're setting up an incentive structure, right? Like, the whole idea of we do not negotiate with terrorists is we don't negotiate. You don't even you you don't want to create any incentive. And even if there is an incentive, regardless of you negotiating or not, meaning they're just despicable humans who want to kidnap and torture people, then that's fine. They they do what they do. But we don't talk to people like that. We we in parallel fight them and try to release our hostages, but not by making any kinds of deals with them. I think there's. Um, I think there's something to be said about that approach. Yeah, that's... <laughs> I think we saw... I think ultimately, just the last thing is mm-hmm. that I think, you know, a lot of people were saying everybody for everybody. And... Um, the and left the left was saying it. Every, really. Everybody for everybody. And meaning we release all our prisoners and we get all of the hostages back. 
And, but then I saw there was, uh, I forgot who it was. I think it was Karmi, um, the, the guy who I think is either Palestinian Media Watch or, or the other one, one of those organizations. And I read an interview with him in Epoch. And he was saying, everybody for everybody, but that's it. We don't negotiate. It's like, well, <laughs> that is negotiation. The yeah. second you come to the table, you're negotiating. And this is exactly what happened. Like if you say everybody for everybody and they say, you know what, we're not going to release 240. We're going to release 239. You're going you're gonna to say, okay, well, no, the deal's off. No, you're not. Yeah. You have two problems here. Problem number one, like you said, you give huge incentives. Um, and you have to, th as the leader, you have to think about, um, you know, the future kidnappees, the future people who will be, who will be kidnapped, tortured, yeah. Um, and it's not, you know, it's very, it's a very viable uh, consequence. Yeah. You know, it can happen in settlements in Judea and Samaria. It can happen in the Sharon. Uh, you know, we saw in Tulkarem, uh, which is a small uh, Palestinian city in Abbas's turf, right? We saw a, mob, a huge Hamas supporting mob there. They could just as easily break the fence and go to the Sharon, uh, you know. My parents live right across the border. Yeah. Right also, and your parents also in Judea and Samaria. So, so, uh, so, so you incentivize those millions of Hamas supporters to the next October 7th events. That's one issue. And the other problem is the price that we paid. The price that we pay, we released people. Yes, they weren't charged of murder just because they were stopped last second before murdering. But attempted you know, murder. Yeah, there are people. There are people there who stabbed, who tried to kill many Jews, and who will try to do it again. So, you know, it's. I think we can all agree that people will die because of those uh, prisoners. Being who, released. Who were, people will die. I don't know if it's 10, 20, 50, or 100. But people will die. Yeah. So so you basically, you know, you exchange present lives for future lives. Yeah. And that's a bit... That's that's a problem. Yeah. That's a problem. Now, in the other, on the other hand, um, you know, it was very cathartic to, to see... Obviously, all those prisoners being released. Um, but I think the yeah, criticism... Yeah, I, I think that it doesn't matter what your stance is. Seeing people, seeing, seeing families reunite is obviously a joyous... It's a reason to, to celebrate or to be happy. It is, I think, regardless. And that's yeah, no one wants... Families to be split up. And yeah, people to, people be, to be to die in Gaza. Obviously, no yeah. one wants that. Um, I think the argument was right that um, we were a bit, a little bit early. If we would push harder and stronger, and you know, we did it a bit too fast. The deal. Yeah. You know, we could have, if we. If we beat our lips in a few more weeks and intensify the pressure, we maybe some would die, maybe, but uh, but you would get both people out and less murderers out of prison, I believe. I believe. Yeah. And there's another and one last thing about this uh, negotiations is the Qatari angle. Basically, you know, Qatar is Hamas. Qatar yeah. is Hamas. And Hamas is Qatar. And Qatar is Al Jazeera. And you legitimize Qatar. Um, you legitimize Hamas. Yeah, I, I also think there's the price to be paid from, like, the angle of deterrence. The, the, the price that we paid with the ceasefire. Meaning you... Not only deterrence, but also rearmament, meaning Hamas has a chance to, to regroup and rearm. And, um, and any time you let up the pressure, you lose deterrence, meaning anytime you give your enemy a chance to rest, then he sees 
mercy and weakness yeah. in your eyes. It's like in chess, tempo, right? Yeah. <laughs> you need tempo. Someone's been learning a lot oh, of chess. Yes. Yeah, you need you need to keep up the momentum. And um, yeah, I think I think we paid a lot of price. I don't know, you know. Ultimately, it's hard to say if we paid too too yeah. large of a price and what is worth what. I think the hostage situation is uh, one that you know. I don't have any clear answers to. I do n know that we cannot, you know, you can't go to the extreme, meaning we cannot surrender. We can't say, I don't know, we have hostages in Gaza, so we're going to take it easy, you know? Because that's what I mean by not negotiating with terrorists. You can't let them use hostages to... Affect our policies. To affect the way that we, yeah, to affect our policies, which ensure the safety of 10 million Israelis. Yeah. So, yeah, we need to hit them. We need to hit them hard. If we can make a deal in the middle and release 100 hostages, I really don't know. I think that we made a mistake and that, you know, uh, we're paying some prices for it. Whether it was worth it, I don't know. I don't know. I don't really have any clear answers. But I'm certainly happy that these people have returned home. I hope for to sure. God that we can return uh, the rest of them. Um, and you know, it's just, it's just awful. The things that we're reading about what happened and yeah. what's, 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 I think what like, it's, it, I don't know how to describe it. Like it, it it's like it, it's skin crawling. Like it's like, you know, it's disgusting. It, it's nauseating to see the way that Hamas releases them. Mm -hmm. Right. And like tries to use them. To the last Not minute, only yeah. did they kidnap them, torture them, beat them, and then use them in order to release murderers, but then right up until the last second, they try and like use them as these media like propaganda pawns by mm -hmm. like carrying the old lady and lifting the kid and trying to show how. Yeah. By the when way, Nazis reality, did it. Nazis did it. You know, they would send uh, uh, to the camps. They sent filming crews, and then they would direct. Uh, whole movies about how good lives in the ghettos are if you remember i didn't it, I yeah didn't know that yeah yeah yeah. so you have movies on youtube you can see them you see people in the ghetto happy you see jews happy uh, living their lives buying groceries yeah they made a whole truman show uh that's so crazy. that's just one one-on-one -on -one, the same uh, and, and the thing is that yeah they're they're worse than nazis um I don't know if you can even compare. Yeah. <laughs> They're both shit. Um, but the thing that's crazy is that like you can't, we aren't getting the full picture from these people because they still have family and friends. And even if they don't have family and friends, they know they have, there's other hostages and they, there's, even if they're not your family or your friends or whatever, you, you don't want to, you don't want to necessarily say anything that'll cause them harm. Yeah. So people are are not telling the entire truth, but from what is coming out, like for example, I'm reading from Times of Israel right now. On says Hamas forced 12 year old hostage to watch videos of atrocities aimed the gun at him when he cried. Mm -hmm. The aunt of Etania Halomi, 12, who was released from Gaza captivity last night, tells French TV that terrorists forced him to watch videos of the atrocities they carried out on October 7th. She also said says that any time a child in captivity cried, they threatened them with rifles to shut them up. Speaking to BFM, Devorah Cohen says that the Hamas terrorists forced him to watch films of the horrors, the kind that no one wants to see. They forced him to watch them. She says the Hamas members were monsters. And, quote, when he arrived in Gaza, all the residents, everyone, beat him. He's a 12-year-old child, she says. Yeah, so, you know. So, so many much about, civilians. Yeah, innocent civilians. Yeah. Yeah, and yesterday there was another uh, testimony about some other kids who got um the terrorists put their legs against a hot motorcycle um exhaust how do you call it yeah to mo to mark them you read uh, about it the, they put the legs against the the hostages legs yeah the hostages the, to sort of kids mark them, yeah. yeah to burn their legs and mark them um yeah yeah they're, they're marking they're, jews again <laughs> yeah they're despicable they all need to die and Anyway, yeah. I'm and another sick of another this. annoying thing that's been happening is that look, you have the families who are engaged in a campaign, and it's very understandable. But what's been going on now, guys, in Israel is that you see an extreme leftist, 
political organizations that are taking advantage very you know they, they no without any qualms about it they just take advantage of those families who have been through the worst yeah and they lever they leverage their protests the righteous you know uh intent to political game. to a political game political end Yeah. yeah. Talking and, about uh, brothers in arms. Brothers in arms, namely. but no, yeah, namely, but not only. You see Shikma Bresler, all, all the people who led the the protest against yeah, the anti-reform um, movements, they all united behind the bring them home now campaign. Now, this campaign uh, putting aside the families for, obviously, but you also have other interviewees who are not families who say and you see leftist politicians like Merav Mikhaeli and all the uh, engaging in this campaign bring them home now which and the demand of bring them home isn't it's not send them home now which would be a call to Hamas yes to send them home now yes bring them home now is a demand to the to our government yes And to those Meaning it's a it's an indictment and a critique on our government yes that they need to prioritize this over everything including beating Hamas including winning the war yeah. okay that's what what they're calling for basically and to me it is despicable it's despicable I think what's the media what's, I is, think what's despicable isn't the demand to bring home the hostages I think it's the cynical uh, use of of this to leverage to like you said to, to, to a political end and I think it's clear I, I I think we were discussing this before the podcast I think what's despicable really is the fact that these the anti-reform movement I don't know if you all recall but there was a huge part of it throughout the I mean it started at, you know towards you know at some point through the anti-reform movement and then it grew and grew and grew of what uh, you know what we call uh, salvanut but um, refusal refusal rejection to, to draft right mm -hmm. a, a refusal to report to duty or to volunteer even to duties because mm -hmm. there was a whole issue of like it's not it's not reporting we're not we're not uh, required by law we're talking about reserves people who yeah. serve in reserves in the IDF in yeah. key roles who were who signed petitions uh, in the most important units yeah but then there were 10,000 people yeah. who signed allegedly anyway the point is a big part of the movement uh, was to refuse to uh, serve in the military whether by volunteer because or of the required because they were refusing to serve a government like Netanyahu's and what happened is October 7th happened and then everybody they dropped that claim and everybody reported for duty yeah Now, a lot of people are saying that that very refusal and that very um, uh, claim that they would not show up is what weakened Israel's position in the eyes of its enemies. And incentivized Hamas. But to... regardless of it, if it incentivized, you claimed that you were not going to show up for duty. Mm -hmm. Why did you say that? And then you showed up. Or why did you show up when you said you weren't? You know, there's a, there's, this is, this is what's despicable, <laughs> is, is that it's, it's, it, it's disingenuous. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Either you lied and you used your you you deceived by using your title in the reserves to blackmail a democratically elected government and thus undermining the the military and the state or you didn't lie and <laughs> you know if, or, or you didn't there, there lie and it's no. even and it's even worse there is you, no there is no there there's Like, I think, I think, yeah, the other option is that you really meant it. Yeah. But then when, 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 when shit you hit the fan. No, you didn't check it out. Maybe, maybe you even, 
you realized, even, let's yeah, not be cynical. Maybe you realize you went too far, yeah. but they're not admitting it. Nahon, yes. And what's despicable <laughs> is that it's these people yes. who are unwilling to admit it or they're not coming to terms with it. They're not doing that, that introspection and realizing that what they did was extremely fucked up, possibly contributing to our loss of deterrence and the enemy actually attacking. Yeah. Just, they're not doing that reference. and they're leading the, and then they're leading the charge yeah. and using it and using this this October 7th and everything that that came after as a way yeah. to get some Moreover, they're doing two more things. First, they're they're um gaslighting the right. Okay? Because yeah. when the right brings up what they did, they they gaslight us and say basically illogical things yeah they just say nonsense they say like they say um we we, we didn't mean what it. do you mean <laughs> we showed up when wh- why do you bring it up even in when in the when the they do this circular fight, thing yeah they do this circular <laughs> thing they say they say we didn't really mean it and then we're like well why did you say it and they're like well we stand behind what we said and they're like but you said you didn't mean it and they're like, no, well, what we meant is that we wouldn't show up if we were called, but that's not because of war. But that's not the but event then there was of a war. war. But then there was a war. Ah, so, but you didn't say anything about the war. You just said that you wouldn't show up for military duty. It's like, well, you're just, you're, you don't understand. Yeah, and we didn't say we won't show up. We, we were, we're volunteers. It's like, but <laughs> the point of a military, and this is the exchange you had on Twitter, the point of a military is to get ready for war or to fight in a war. It's like, <laughs> well, you don't understand what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, so they gaslight, but then they did Osifu Chet Al-Pesha. They added a sin to a, a, crime, a vice and a crime by uh, they're doing whitewashing now. Yeah. So Achim Laneshek... This, this extreme leftist organization who organized those mass, mass events of signing petition against serving in the IDF, okay? Now they became the saviors of the country by organizing, volunteering, uh, you know, uh, volunteer work, work around the war. And even you participated in one of their initiatives. Yeah. Um, no, I, mean, in a, I, I, I was in one of their... Um camps <laughs> i was re-education we, camp yeah yeah <laughs> now i went with the buddy buddy flew over from the states he managed to get the donations from his community for mil- tactical equipment and and other stuff as mm-hmm. well um and so i drove south and helped him distribute it and part of our distribution was to like hand it over to himnaneshek because they they do have and i think it's important to say they've been doing good work They've been yeah. doing good work. I think and and the, everybody who's involved in their work isn't necessarily complicit unless in what they're signed. doing. Unless he signed, he was one no, of the no, signers. Of course. I'm not, I'm just saying not necessarily everyone is complicit in what they're doing. The problem is with what this thing represents and the leadership and where it's going. Meaning you can do good things. You know the ra- the road to hell is paved with good intentions. You can do good things but lend your your efforts to a bad cause mm-hmm. um and and that doesn't necessarily negate the good things that you're doing so i still believe that you know they're doing good right now in their efforts to support the war and and there's something funny i think that like actually the left even the extreme left comes together in a way during war that like they're good at it because of that whole collective mindset you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. something about it triggers them of like camaraderie and brotherhood and like, you know, we all are one. We all are one. We all are one. You know, yeah. that's that's something that there's something at the basis of socialism and communism, which is like which is that right. We mm-hmm. all are one. We're equal. Yeah. Um, one and, big efficient machine. Yeah. And something something does it for them and that. And so but but yeah. No, but it, but is, you, it is being used to whitewash because when you bring up. What they did, their first and only look argument at us is, now. look at us now, look what we're doing. Okay, yeah. but that doesn't whitewash what your part in what happened. Yeah. And, and the fact that they bring it up each time also, um, you know, makes you think about their motives in doing all that volunteer work. Yeah. You know, what's their motives? And I think... Uh, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. It's like, I can't... I'm. 
I don't know. I try. I try and like. It's something that I've been struggling with lately. I try and be as little as I'm trying to be as as uh, little as cynical as possible. You're fired. <laughs> You're fired. As, as less Get cynical as possible, <laughs> because, and I want to believe that you know I was there. I was there in Bet Kama. Bet Kama is like a, it's a junction and a yeshuv uh, near Gaza. It's, I don't know, like twenty kilometers out of Gaza or something like that. Fifty kilometers. Um, it's right outside the war zone, right? So it's like citizens can, civilians can go there because you can't get into the area around Gaza. It's a war zone. Um, and I was there, and I and as part of this thing that where I went with my buddy, and we distributed some stuff, and we helped out there a little bit throughout the day, and and I saw people, and I saw good people. You know, I saw like you see them; they're they're good people. Mm-hmm. Um. And so it's hard for me to be cynical about the entire effort, you know, and everybody involved. I also have good friends who are like involved in initiatives and some of them are somehow tied to, you know, these different organizations. And so it's hard for me to be cynical about it. I really do believe in most people's good intentions. Um, But I do think that as a political movement and the leadership, the leadership and yeah, and the leadership, that's, so th- there's something rotten there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. And another thing is the media that, you know, infuriates me. Yeah. Um, the campaign of using this against uh, Netanyahu. Using it against Netanyahu. You know, they they are pointing all the fire to the government and... They work full time in clearing the heads of the of the military and you know yeah the Shin Bet the Mossad all those um, like Khaliwa pe- like Khaliwa who was who is the head of intelligence in the IDF and one of the main people you know responsible for the conception what we call in Israel which yeah. is the notion that Hamas will not attack that was widespread. In the security elite, before, yeah, yeah. Um, the how does uh, you know how do they call it in America the 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 complex the military, military industrial, industrial complex. complex. <laughs> so this is like the, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, so Khaliva, you know, if you put put aside the 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 government for a second. Uh, it's clear that the chief of the IDF... Let's tell the story first. Okay. Like, what happened? What happened when? What, what, what are the facts that are coming up right now about what actually happened on October 7th? The facts are that you had many... You, I, you divide, I can divide it to two, okay? One is all the information that they had uh, in the months before October 7th. So now we see more and more information coming out. Not everything is coming out because, you know, some, is, I think, is they try to hide it still. They're doing everything to hide it. But some things are coming out about a lot of... First of all, you had the lookout soldiers at the border whose job was to look at what's going on in the Gaza side of the border. And many of them alerted... Time after time. Time after time that something's going on and they were, you know... Something funky is going on were Meaning they saw, they saw like, people approaching the fence. They saw huge military drills, right? They saw, like, large amounts of Hamas members, like, driving by in in, uh, uh, parades of trucks, like, right? And leaders standing and watching and debriefing other leaders. And they saw, they told their commanders uh, and they were dis you know this disregarded yeah um that's one leg the other leg is that in the intelligence units shmone time a 200 and you had um anal- you know soldiers who's responsible responsible in analyzing intelligence they also had some of them wrote reports yeah these guys basically listen in on palestinian phone calls yeah the attack and, is imminent yeah. um and they were also disregarded but in the intelligence force yeah so though that that's part that's one half of the picture the other half of the picture is the hours before the attack itself where also uh what happened guys if you didn't read about it is 
they already knew at around 3 a.m. The attack started at 6.30. So around 3 a.m., you had a phone call of the chief of the IDF, the head of intelligence, Khalilva, and the head of uh, Shin Bet. Um, and you, they had a call because they saw that something is about to happen. And the head of Shin Bet... Oh, even um, even alerted his special force, Tequila Force, it's called, and they went there. It doesn't happen often, you know. It was they went to Gaza. They went to the Gaza border at four a.m. Uh, and most of them died eventually. He sent them to die basically, and none of them thought about alerting the chief of the IDF. If they did, the chief of the Air Force, sorry, not the chief of the IDF. So the chief of the IDF, Shin Bet and Khaliva, yeah, the head of military call. intelligence, had a phone call. And what was the what was the because the Shin Bet guy did send his guy. Yeah, so, they so what said was they the end? Something of, they see something so going they, they on. They decided just to send the Shin Bet uh, special yeah. operatives. Yeah. Okay. They didn't alert the, the prime mil- minister. The, they didn't alert the prime minister and the government. They didn't alert the soldiers at the border. Yeah. What happened was that most of the soldiers were massacred in their beds. Yeah. They didn't even have enough time to get out of bed and get Which their weapons. It's crazy. Why would you send the Shin Bet special ops and not alert the soldiers? Yeah. Like, why? And no, but did... that's, that's a bit weird. It's I mean, very... I'm not trying to like yeah. get into conspiracy theories here, but I'm just saying no. that that is stinky. It's stinky. And they didn't alert the, chi- the head of the, of the Air Force wasn't on the call if they alerted the head of the air force he would have two a, a helicopter on standby that could completely change the picture because right. by the time the uh, the air force understood what's going on the you know an hour has passed and and it was too and then late they're in already in the uh the villages in yeah, the surrounding Gaza, and then it's no but not only are they mass uh, yeah it's hard, it's hard for the, the the air force needs a sterile target they can't yeah. bomb our villages yeah so if they're if they, they see people crossing yeah. the border they can just bomb them yeah indiscriminately yeah but you can't bomb people within our villages indiscriminately yeah. without paying a high price yeah so so and what's going on in the media now is that Khaliva, and also Herzi Alevi, the chief of the IDF, you know, they have a lot of friends in the media. The IDF in Israel, guys, just so we understand what's, how corrupt the relationship is. In Israel, you have the military correspondents, quote unquote, okay? And what they are basically, they are propaganda machines for the military because Throughout the years, how it works is those correspondents, right? They want airtime uh, and, you know, newspaper real estate in the front pages, in the first minutes of every news show, right? So they need stories about the IDF, right? They need scoops. Where do they get the scoops from? From the hand of the IDF, okay? So it's corrupt relationship. So they get stories. Everything in the IDF should be under... Censorship, meaning nobody's giving this because it's like actual public information. Yeah, everything's they, they're leaks. Yeah, it's, it's leaks. So you yeah. get you're not allowed to pass over this information. Yeah, it's all being regulated by the IDF spokesperson who who is directly under the chief of the IDF. So this is how the chief of the IDF and the IDF controls all those military correspondents. They are all their pawns, basically, uh, m- like ninety percent of them. Uh, because if they rebel, they don't get stories, and then they, you know, they'll get replaced yeah. by someone who can get the story. Yeah. Um, so at war, it means that none of them is criticizing the army. So that's already very dangerous. Okay, they're all if, during the war. They are all spokesperson of the army. They're not journalists at all. And they they uh <laughs> yeah it's corrupt as fuck it's corrupt and no one is talking about it because the media won't cover it because it's part of it and and not and what it also means is that you have very close relationships between the chief of the idf and those military correspondent and also between strong people in the army like the chief of in, the head of intelligence khaliva who also has friends in high places in the media 
So those people use their connections now to try to clear their name and throw all the responsibility upwards, which is, which is you know, the obvious, but the more what they are doing, which is much more um, sophisticated, they try to send it downwards to the middle ground between those lookout soldiers uh, trying to push the responsibility on to the, the mid level commanders okay. that what they didn't provide enough they uh, didn't send it up to them okay so for example if it's a a200 you see that a very low level soldier wrote a report that Hamas is about to strike so those high ranking commanders are briefing the newspapers that to write that it got to a, you know, Tataluf, I don't know, mid-range commander, inch 8200, and he, and it stopped with him. He didn't pass it on to Khalifa, you know? How and it's despicable. all, and it's all, you know, it's, it's very... Also so, it's also so, so despicable, because it's like, the, you know, Akharai, right? That's yeah. the whole, the whole mantra of the military is, I take responsibility. Right. right, after me, mm-hmm. right? I am at the head, I take responsibility. What we take pride in in the West and in Israel is the fact that our commanders go in the front yeah, and they, they take the fire for their soldiers. Yeah, And here we have a bunch of loser, like- Failures. Pussies that are like, yeah, that are saying, and I, I think it goes all the way to the top, by the way. BB also can't, he can't say this is the military. This is the military intelligence. He has to take first and foremost responsibility. But it all, yeah, it goes, the rot goes down as far as it goes down, but it's despicable when people point their fingers downwards and say, this is my, these are my, uh, the people that I command, it's their fault. No, they're, they're doing it very subtly. They don't, they, you know, it, it, it's never, you won't see a quote. Explicit. Yeah. yeah, it's it's very, very sophisticated. And the average civilian wouldn't even notice that, you know, it's all hidden between the lines. But, and what's even more disturbing is that they are working on briefing the reporters 24 seven and there is war. Yeah, there is war. Now what you said about BB, my point is that, you know, all the media is is saying BB, BB, BB all day long. You know, we have, you know, it's where we hear it all the time. But also the media is taking is taking uh, part in this game of, of of trying to where are the but yeah trying to to indict BB and implicate BB while while clearing the making heads easier of lives. the IDF yeah but but where are these reports coming out of like if if the if all of the military correspondents are are sort of in this in this uh, you know. Uh, conflict of interest mm-hmm. where are the reports that are coming out about the Shin Bet and that phone call that that happened between the chief of the IDF like who's managing to get these no they they wrote it but relatively early in the war in the war and uh, you know it's always you know in this look if if a military correspondent has a two-pager in the newspaper so it won't be in the beginning. It will be, you push it in the middle of the article, for example, okay? Or they will talk about it in the beginning, but they, they're not talking about it anymore. So they put it out there because, you know, it's already out, but then they try to bury it also and mm-hmm. try to destruct. But look, here is this and here's that. Yeah. And when you try to talk about it, they tell you you're a conspiracy spreader. Conspiracy theorist. So that's really that's really wow. annoying and uh, disgusting, in my opinion. And and it's sad that uh, that's what the heads of the IDF were doing instead of fighting. And by the way, if we talk about the war a little bit, what we see is far from enough. It's far from enough. You know, yesterday, another military correspondent who's a spokesperson, really, was saying, today we had the war... Today, Hamas had one of its worst day days. More than 150 people killed in one day. I'm like, that's the worst day they had in two months. You 150. Know? Yeah, 150. Wow. They killed the 
That's ten a nothing ti- they burger. T- they, ki- they killed ten times that in one day. They killed ten times that in one day. And uh, you know, in, in the end of the day, two months after we have, we only conquered like barely thirty percent of Gaza. Um, and we're and we're not explicitly saying we're conquered it. We're not explicitly. We're, we're if anything, know. we're entertaining the idea that that is coming from the Americans to let the Palestinians keep living there. Yeah, and which we need to talk about by the yeah. way, which is just unbelievable. But just to finish my point, yeah. we didn't like. What we're seeing is far, far from enough. Oh, yeah. It's far from enough. Yeah. It is. Yeah, it's 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 just weakness. We're just. And now there are briefings that we're going to strike less from the air because of American pressure, which means more soldiers on the ground will die because we're deterred by the Americans from doing what has to be done. Yeah. That's disturbing. I mean, we've talked about this a lot in the in the first episodes that we did after the after October seventh. But the Israeli response to what happened on October seventh is is just unacceptably weak, and it's beyond like it's beyond criticism. Yeah, uh, and we keep giving in to pressure, more pressure, and more pressure. Ultimately, there and there are Israeli commentators who are saying this, but ultimately, what needs to happen is and. I think this is in order of priority. Systematic Israel destruction. Needs to, Israel needs to take Gaza. We need to take it, meaning we need to, and not a demilitarized zone, which I keep seeing these huge billboards around Israel, probably by the same organizations, of, and not destroying Hamas or anything like that. Our main goal needs to be to conquer Gaza and ultimately to clean it of the Palestinian yes cleanse it ethnic cleansing it's not ethnic cleansing it's non-Israeli citizen cleansing okay it's cleansing of the enemy we need to cleanse it of Palestinians as much as possible either by pushing them into Egypt or finding some other solution of getting them into Jordan or Syria or I don't care or or as refugees in the west or as refugees in the West, yeah, there's Take oh them. yeah, there's plenty of <laughs> European countries are talking Take about. Them. We want to Scotland, right? Was like Sc- saying we'll be Ireland. happy to Scotland. I think it was Ireland, Scotland. Yeah. They say we'll be happy to take them. Well, here you take, go. Take them. Here's a here's a boat full of a hundred thousand of them. <laughs> no, but seriously, get rid of them as 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 quickly and as efficiently as possible, and re-inhabit the land. Okay, create a new border. Right where the border between Gaza and uh, Egypt. and Egypt is now is the border of Israel and Egypt. And you know what? If we can't do that because we're not going to just, uh, I don't know, like uh, one uh, Israeli minister uh, uh, said by mistake and turned out to be, you know, a huge uh, issue. We're not going to bom- uh, drop an atom bomb on Gaza. Um, so, so if we need to, leave three kilometers Three three kilometers by whatever by five kilometers. Yeah, a corridor, a corridor between where they can all where they can all live, mm-hmm. all of them, two million, however many there are there. Uh, it'll be the it'll be the biggest den of cockroaches in the world, but it'll be the most densely populated refugee quote unquote camp in the world. Fine, whatever, and re-inhabit Gaza, make a huge park in favor of October seventh. The right? beaches Memor- are beautiful. Memorializing October seventh, and the rest of it should be a park. Should be a uh, no, and the rest of it should be inhabited City. by Jews. Yeah, New Gaza, New Gaza, um, and that should be the goal of of the war. And and honestly, I really, really believe, and I, I honestly don't, I don't think that. Uh, I don't think the polls are are accurately representing this, but I think that there's a I, consensus. There's a consensus for yeah. that. Yeah, for sure, among the Jewish population of Israel. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Way more than fifty percent sure. of Israelis, I think, would you be see very m- prominent voices very calling for this exact thing, shamelessly, um, but no one in the leadership has the balls to say that. Yeah. Even you know maybe Benville said something about it. I don't remember recall, but they won't say anything. Well, about everybody, it. I think everybody is afraid of BB, and BB is afraid of the Americans. So, like you know, nobody wants to be the dissident right now. But yeah, 
And what do you say to those who say we just can't defy the Amer- cannot defy the Americans because we will have no ammunition to fight with? I think, I think that our relationship with the Americans is something that, and Caroline Glick has been saying this. I've been listening to her quite a bit lately, and I think she's brilliant. But I think our relationship with the Americans currently, the way that it's stacked is very bad for Israel. Um, she even talks about the deal that we made around the Iron Dome as something that's that's like very problematic mm-hmm. because we kind of signed away our our rights to the mm-hmm. Iron Dome. We can't sell it to other nations, and mm-hmm. and uh, we got an investment from the United States. But there are claims that the money we could have made off of Iron Dome around the world might have far surpassed the money that we made from the Americans. Yeah. Um, and we can't go and sell it right now. But anyway, um, I think that the relationship that we have beyond that is like we need to have a strategic relationship with the United States if we ha- and, and not a friendship, right, on shared values. And no, if we serve a purpose for the United States and the United States serves a purpose for us, a mutually beneficial trade, then we'll have a relationship. Otherwise, we won't. We need to be an independent country that's not... Uh, and this idea that like we can't survive without the Americans is ridiculous. I mean, the, and all of the wars that we unequivocally won, we won without the Americans. Okay, and Yom Except, Kippur. Yeah, but the Yom Kippur was the one where we suffered the biggest devastation because in the beginning. Because of them, and, and, by the way, and, and, because of them, they forbade us from um, taking the first strike. Yeah. So, so I think. You know, the Six-Day War, the War of Independence, the wars in which we, we beat the Arabs and we beat them good are the wars where America wasn't here for us. And we found a way with, you know, Czech guns and French planes and, you know, we yeah. found a way. Congolese <laughs> chocolate bars. Air- aircraft carriers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nigerian aircraft carriers. Yeah. No, but... Um, By the way, I have a Nigerian friend who wants to sell us a lot of weapons yeah oh yeah Yeah. did you get an email from him yes is he by any chance the prince (laughs) of nigeria Uh, no but i i think that i think that our relationship with the americans is is problematic and we need to we need to grow a pair (laughs) you saw musk uh, in israel yeah 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 he was here um and people were were complaining that he's an anti-semite yeah he's trying to whitewash uh, what he said Uh, yeah it's what do you mean? Yeah, they blame him that because he tweeted uh, against the ADL, he had one tweet that he said he regrets. Uh, the ADL is a piece of shit organization. Right. Like, no, but there was another tweet, tweet. He commented on someone else's tweet that was a bit anti-Semitic, and he said 100% right, because uh, the, the tweet uh, was about Jewish organizations in general. It wasn't about the ADL specifically, mm, and uh, he said they are 100% Candace right. Owens and uh, Taylor. Uh, I don't remember exactly. Uh, you can Google it, but um, what's the Fox News guy that has does Tucker. videos? Tucker Carlson. Yeah, I think he he's quick on the trigger with Tucker because Tucker moved to Twitter. Yeah, or X. Tucker moved to X and like and does all of his videos on X right now, yeah. and so Elon really wants to support him. Yeah, but it like, wasn't the Tucker tweet. It, it wasn't was the just, Tucker no. Candace Owens. If you write uh, Elon Musk 100% right tweet, and oh sorry, my yeah, computer gets locked. Uh, so yeah, but I, he he's he's not a perfect guy, but I think it's really I think it's a big stretch to call him an anti-Semite, to call him anti-Israel. Um, that's the tweet. And then he he recently said he regretted. Musk on anti-Semitic conspiracy theory, the actual truth. The billionaire amplified a post Wednesday at accusing the Jewish community of promoting dialectical hatred against whites. No, this is the Tucker Carlson is thing, it? I think. Elon, who has steered uh, into a tsunami, said, uh, this is uh, in response to another user. Shortly replied, you have said the actual truth. So in response, another user, Breaking Bat, claimed the Jewish communities have been pushing the exact kind of dialectical hatred against whites that they claim to want uh, people to stop using against them, adding, I'm deeply disinterested in giving the tiniest shit about Western Jewish populations coming to the distributing 
realize disturbing realization that those hordes of minorities that support flooding their country don't exactly like them too much. Shortly after, Musk replied, you have said the actual truth. In the same thread, the billionaire later added, the ADL unjustly attacks the majority of the West, despite the majority of the West supporting the Jewish people in Israel. Yeah, no, I, look, and I also even kind of agree with his sentiment. There are a lot of Jewish organizations out there, in the United States especially, J Street and the ADL and all those, those extreme left organizations that are anti-Israel. And it, they're anti-Israel as part of this anti-Western, anti-colonialist, progressive, woke-like ideology. They ascribe to it. And, and yeah, I think that they are Jewish only in name. I don't think there's any connection between them and Judaism and them and the Jewish people and them and the Jewish state. I don't think that I think the connection is only by chance or in name. But and so I and that's where I would uh, that's where I would part from Musk. I wouldn't I wouldn't call them Jewish organizations. I would call them organizations that maybe call themselves Jewish or I would just call them organizations like the ADL and J Street and yada, 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 and because Tying them to Judaism is is dangerously close to anti-Semitism. But but it's 100% right. These organizations are crazy, woke organizations that are like hand-in-hand and lovey-dovey with BLM and and the likes of them. And they hate Israel. They hate the West. They hate America. And they're shitty organizations. And after Musk's visit here, he started wearing uh, this tag, bring him home tag, Ah. which is a nice gesture, I think. Yeah. Not obvious, and he wears it to every interview. Yeah, and no, he's I, a, I think he's a great friend of Israel, and I think he's a great friend of conservatives and people who love the West and yeah. love Western values. By the way, I started reading his bio. New, there's a new biography. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, about it's, Mask. Uh, what's his name? It's Isaacson. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, wow. and it's really it's fascinating. I really recommend it. I learned already in a lot of new things, and uh, yeah. Uh, you know yeah, that, that that pic you sent me of uh, how his bank account went from uh, yeah five thousand dollars. What was it when they sold the? They sold the yeah a zip two a zip two zip two, and his bank account went from five thousand. He was like, my bank account went from five thousand to twenty two million. 5, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, and by the way, I didn't know, but he bought X dot com back then. Ah yeah yeah yeah. He's X has been like a vision of his for a yeah. long time. From before PayPal, yeah, and I didn't know about it, and yeah, and also you know he grew up in South in South Africa, yeah, he knows uh, what apartheid is exactly. And he knows that Israel isn't apartheid exactly. Yeah, so, uh, that's it. Anything else before we wrap things up? Um, How's life? Life is good, man. Yeah, life is good. Uh, it's plans been a while. for Hanukkah. I missed you, man. Uh, I missed me too, you. Man. Me too. No homo, or homo. <laughs> Just the sexual without without the homo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, life is good. Life is good. We're back at it. Plans uh, for Hanukkah. Plans for Hanukkah. Now we're 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 taking the folks, God willing, for their anniversary. Oh, Mazel Tov! Which falls on Hanukkah. Mazel Tov! Yeah, to uh, Haifa to celebrate oh, their fortieth anniversary. We're taking the folks. Whoa! To Haifa. You uh, love Haifa. What are you talking I, I about? Know, I love you should be excited about it. Just let's let's make sure Hezbollah doesn't uh, start a war yeah, when you're yeah, there. Yeah. If they can just wait a few days, that would be great. Yeah. Um, yeah, but things are good. Things cool, are good. cool, cool. Dove. So, uh, guys, thanks for listening. Thanks for We're tuning back. in. We're back. Guests the coming up, and a lot of exciting things. Yeah, so, so tune in, tune and in. Uh, please continue to send us your messages, your questions. Mm-hmm. We didn't get around to it this time, but we will next uh, next week. Uh, continue sending us your thoughts, hate mail, love mail, um, and uh, we really appreciate it. Apathetic guys. mail. Yeah, apathetic. Apathetic mail. I don't give a shit mail. Yeah. yeah. Okay, guys, stay safe, and uh, thanks for listening. See you on the next one. See you on the next Bye. one. Bye-bye.